you have your Bible, let's turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 14, 15, and 16. Bring you greetings from our president, Dr. Chitwood. He asked me to give you his appreciation for, he said, you're always in the top three in CP giving. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to telling him you jumped somebody and went to number two. So uh, thank you for your partnership in the gospel. It's a privilege to be here, an honor to be here. Uh, asking the Lord just to speak to our hearts this morning from his word. I've been blessed in the time of worship together. Thank you, choir and instrumentalists uh, this morning for leading us to worship our Lord. Uh, and uh, this morning we're going to be looking at this text in Romans chapter 1. And the title I gave this, uh, this week is uh, The Great Pursuit. The Great Pursuit. Uh, what you pursue will shape who you are. When I was a little boy, I was born in Africa. My parents were both medical missionary doctors. They went to Africa in 1952. And my dad delivered me in a bush hospital there. It was very important to my mama that uh, we get well educated, so she took that upon herself to do that. And uh, when I was a little boy, mama would subscribe to two uh, uh, um, magazines. One was Reader's Digest and the other was National Geographic. The Reader's Digest was mom and dad's National Geographic. Mama insisted that her boys read. I'm the middle of five boys. Mama never had any girls, so God bless mama, she had her hands full. And I remember looking at a National Geographic article one time, and in there was a picture of the giant sequoias. And I remember looking at that picture and thinking to myself, I couldn't imagine what that tree must look like. And in my heart, I remember as a little boy thinking, you know, one day I hope I get to see those trees. Well, fast forward a lot of years. And last week I was in California at their state convention in Fresno. And my wife Leanne was with me and we went about an hour and a half out of Fresno to the Sequoia National Park, and there I got to see the Sherman tree and the Grant tree, the largest tree by volume in the world. But you know, that wasn't a pursuit. That was a dream. Uh, my mom and dad were felt called to medical missions, which meant, of course, getting a medical degree. And dad was in World War II, and mama was a year ahead of him in medical school, and they had met when dad was on the way to Fort Polk, Louisiana to get uh, naval training as an officer, and uh, they corresponded through the war years when dad was uh, discharged from the Navy, went to medical school in Houston, where my mom was a year ahead of him at Baylor Medical School to pursue a medical degree. But you know, once you get the MD on your title, that pursuit is over. I mean, you continue to practice medicine, and they did all their careers in Africa, but the pursuit of the degree is finished. But there's a pursuit that as long as you are a believer and as long as you draw breath will never come to a conclusion until your last breath. You see, there is a problem in the world today that's the world's greatest problem. You know, there are a lot of problems in the world today. You look around on the news as you watch it you can look across our country and there are a lot of problems a cancer is a devastating disease but you know once you die that problem is concluded 
My father had onset adult dementia, mean disease. Uh, when he died, there was a relief in my heart because that problem was over. I've been in many places in the world. My wife Leanne and I, 39 years with the International Mission Board, 20 years in Africa. And in Africa, I saw great devastation from hunger. But you know, when you die, the hungry man's problem's over. But there's a problem that only gets started when you die. Because you see, if you're lost without Christ and you die, your problem is just getting started. And it's an eternal problem. And the Spirit of God has given we the church a task. That task is as a body of believers on this planet that we would so love and care for the lost that we would pursue them at any cost, at any distance, to pay any price. Because you see, if you're a believer here today, your eternity is secure. And it may be difficult to fully grasp this fact, but today there are people in our world who've never, ever heard the gospel. In fact, there are 3,063 unreached, unengaged peoples in our world today who have never had a gospel witness. As far as we know, for their generations, they have died without access to the gospel, never having heard the name of Jesus. They're lost. God has given us this commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. And he gave us a strategic plan in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But in that strategic plan, although I've heard it sometimes interpreted as sequential, meaning once you get through in Paducah, then that's your Jerusalem, then you go to the next uh, area of geography. But in fact, in the Greek, that command of Jesus is simultaneous. In other words, while you're reaching Jerusalem, you're reaching Judea. And while you're reaching Judea, you're reaching Samaria. And while you're reaching Samaria, you're reaching the ends of the earth. Because you see, the fact of the matter is this. If Lone Oak First Baptist waits until everyone in Lone Oak is a Christian, you'll never leave Lone Oak. Because new people are being born all the time. But there has to be someone who occupies the territory of Lone Oak. That's the mission of your church. But while you occupy this territory, God has opened avenues for we here in Lone Oak to reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, our state, we would say. Uh, while you travel, uh, you're on mission. Wherever you go across the state, you're on mission for him to be a testimony to Jesus Christ. And there are people that God has been working in all around us. And while we're reaching our state, we're looking across our nation. I was in Alaska not too long ago uh, speaking to a pastor's conference. 
and hearing their testimonies of the difficulty of reaching Alaskans and the state exec telling me Gordon in our history is a Baptist state convention in Alaska there's a group of people in this area that we have never successfully engaged with the gospel we've never been able to crack the barrier to get into the lifeway of the people and it's the uh, First Nations people they call them the Eskimo the Alouette and the many other uh, dialectical groups that live in Alaska but God wants us to pursue them Uh, he cares for the lost if you ever doubt that for a second just go and spend some time at the foot of the cross and observe your Lord and the price he paid so that he could remove the barrier between us and his father And if he would pay that price, God in his word tells us, if he would not hold back his only son from us, will he not with his son give us all things? And here in this text we find something about the Apostle Paul as he is in this great pursuit to reach the lost. In verse 14, this is what the text says I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and to the unwise so as much as in me is I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek My wife, Leanne, and I begin our missions career on the backside of the Kalahari Desert in the village of Maun, Botswana. The desert climate was extremely hot. After living 11 years in the desert, I never again complained about the rain. Today, I woke up with the rain falling a little bit on my balding head, and although it was a little bit cool, I loved it, refreshing. But in that desert, it was draining the heat 113 degrees in the shade in the summertime we're living in a concrete block house with a tin roof and no insulation and it was a hot place now I have two brothers who've served with the International Mission Board one in West Africa and in West Africa they have what they call humidity (laughs) and my brother David would hear me whining about the heat of Botswana and he'd say yeah but Gordon that's dry heat I said, David, have you ever heard of spontaneous combustion? That's what happens in dry heat. And I was in a situation where not only geography was difficult, but the spiritual soil was hard. And I remember my discouragement from going out day after day after day and trying to reach the Botswana people, the Botswana tribe that we lived amongst. And there were times I would think to myself, doesn't the International Mission Board need some missionaries like in Switzerland or Hawaii you know (laughs) is there not a better assignment and wondering you know Lord when I think about the Apostle Paul who describes his situation in this text what was what was it that kept him motivated in his missions calling how did he continue to press forward in the face of such opposition you look at uh, in Corinthians and look at what he describes in his life about how many times he got beaten, how many times he was thrown in prison, how many times he was hungry and shipwrecked. And it's not a very nice uh, report, but yet he stayed the course. And friends, I wonder in this great pursuit that God has given to us, have you grown weary and tired or discouraged or 
disillusioned with this pursuit of the lost that God has given to us as a, as a mission for life. Because the Apostle Paul was motivated in his mission to keep going. Now, that word motivation is an interesting word. When I was a boy growing up in Africa, uh, my eldest brother, Giles, was running across our yard, and he was jumping this ditch. They had dug a, a ditch to lay a water pipe to the house so Mama could have running water in the house. They hadn't covered it over yet. My brother was jumping this ditch, about three feet deep, a foot wide, and he was jumping it, trying to make a big jump, you know. And one time he made a really long jump, and he yelled at me under the porch, Gordon, I bet you can't jump as far as I did. Well, you know, he's about a foot taller than me at that point. And I didn't think I had a chance, but I had to at least try. So I push off from the wall of the house, and I'm sprinting towards that ditch. And just about I get to the ditch to jump, my brother yells, snake! (laughs) Now, he was a mischievous guy, but for once, he's telling the truth. I glanced down. An Egyptian banded cobra had been crawling in the ditch, and from our angle, we hadn't seen it. And he had kicked some dirt in the ditch and disturbed it. This snake has come out of the ditch and hooded, and his tongue going like that, looking to see, you know, what's disturbed. Now, listen, it's too late to stop. But let me just tell you something. When I took off from the ground, not only did I beat his jump, I beat him by three inches. <laughs> now, what was the difference? Motivation. That's exactly right. I mean, I was motivated, right? Shot of adrenaline. Took me off. Well, in this text, Paul is describing the thing that's in his heart that is motivating him in this pursuit of the lost. And he said, the thing that motivates me is I am a debtor. In other words, he's telling us I owe something. There's a debt I owe. And if you know the Apostle Paul's testimony, uh, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. He looked at his life before he met Christ on the road to Damascus. He was not a nice person. I wonder this morning... There's anyone in the church today who can identify with him. Who would say, Brother Gordon, if you knew my testimony, I was sinking deep in sin. I wasn't close to the peaceful shore. I was far from the peaceful shore. I didn't have a little bitty stain in my life from sin. Oh, no. I was very deeply stained within. Sinking. To rise no more. But what? But the master of the seas. He heard my despairing cry. And from the waters he lifted me. Now safe am I. The day you'd say that's my testimony. Well then if that's your testimony. Don't tell me you don't have a debt to pay. Apostle Paul had a debt to pay. And that debt motivated him in this pursuit of the lost. But not only did it motivate him, but in the next verse there, he says, as, you know, he says, I've been longing to come and preach to you guys who are there in Rome. But he says, I've been hindered. But he said, as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. As much as in me is, in the King James, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. In other words, he's describing an attitude of heart. He's describing a mandate that he's received, that he senses is his mandate for the, for the whole of his life in pursuing those who were lost. Uh, I've met people 
who are willing. I've met a lot of people who are able. But it's a very different matter to be willing and able and ready. I, having listened to this choir, I guess that this choir and you as a congregation at some point have sung the hymn, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. Have you? Amen? Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. Now, let me ask you a question. How can you sing that song and you don't have a passport? <laughs> you may be willing and you may be able, but you're not ready. Not if you sing that song and you mean it. Now, I'm not suggesting to you the minute you get a passport, God's going to suddenly send you to Asia or Europe or Africa or Latin America. But what it means is you are ready. This morning, your pastor is going to lead our time of invitation. I ask him to do that because I know that he's recently arrived and he's getting his understanding of your congregation, and I want you to hear his heart about this matter of the responsibility of we here at Lone Oak First Baptist Church to pursuing the lost wherever they are in the world. And when he leads that invitation, my suggestion to you, in order to accomplish this exhortation of being ready is to just step out, come forward and say, my yes is on the table. Because I mean it when I sing that song. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Uh, it's one thing to be willing, able. It's another thing to be ready. We have young people who apply to the International Mission Board and say, Oh, I feel called to be a missionary. Uh, I want to go right now. And we say, Well, are you ready to go? Yes, I'm ready to go. How much debt do you have? <laughs> They're not ready. What have you done to prepare yourself so that you can share the gospel in Africa? Oh, well, I thought you guys would tell me how to do that. <laughs> He's not ready. You see, what... What God is doing in your life here today in Lone Oak is equipping and preparing you for what he has ahead. So as you're a member of this congregation, if you don't get both feet in and you put your whole heart and life into the community of this church where God can equip, train, and support you, where Women's Missionary Union can educate you, and I'm thankful for that organization. It's blessed our family my whole life. Where they can educate and communicate and share with you how this is done. And where your deacons can serve you and support you. And where your teachers of Bible study can equip and prepare you. Then when God says, now you're ready for me to call you and use you. That's what it takes. You don't just wake up one day and you've been living here and you've been enjoying the worship, just turning up on Sunday morning when you felt like it. If there's a little rain, you decided, oh, it's a little too cold for me to go to church today. Uh, you weren't, you're, you're not ready. But when you've given your heart and soul to it, 
God, I'm on mission wherever you've called me, wherever you've planted me. Why would the Lord suddenly give you incredible ability to share the gospel 10,000 miles away from here if you haven't already been doing it across the street? Are you ready? Oh, the Apostle Paul says, I'm ready. Uh, This is important, friends. Uh, We were in Botswana in the northeast part of the country, and a friend of mine was from a tribe called the Kalanga people, and he had asked me to come and help him share the gospel with his tribe. Uh, He had left his tribe to go get education, become a follower of Christ, had a burden for his tribe who had never had a missionary witness. We drove out into the forest, and we were camping in the bush, and, uh, and Benjamin, the first morning we got up uh, in our tent and he said, let's go see the Paramount Chief so we can let him know we're in his area and get his permission to be here. So we're walking through the forest on a trail. And as we approached the village, uh, out to my left, about 30 yards, was a cutout where they had cut the thorn and scrub brush and made a cow pen. And there was a milk cow in the pen and a lady on her knees milking that cow. And she was on the off side of the cow to us. And as we're walking along, I looked over and I caught her glance from under the belly of the cow. And I felt a prick in my heart. And I said to Benjamin, hey, listen, there's a, I see that woman over there in that pen. Why don't we go share the gospel with her? My friend Benjamin said, Pastor, look, uh, we're strangers here. Obviously, I wasn't from there. I said, uh, uh, she's out here by herself. You know, she's probably just one of the peasant women in the village up here. Uh, Let's just go see the chief. And, uh, and so I, I agreed, and so we continued on our way. But I'd take maybe four or five steps, and I looked back again, and she was still watching us. And again, I felt this tug in my heart. And I said, Benjamin, I just feel like the Lord wants us to share with her. Again, my friend Benjamin said, Pastor, you know, she's probably just a peasant woman from the village up here. She's going to be embarrassed. But okay, if you want to try, I said, well, look, call out a greeting in Kalanga, then at least she knows you're from here. And so he reluctantly agrees. So we turn aside. We're walking towards this cow pen. Benjamin calls out a greeting in Kalanga. She stands up, get to the edge of the pen. So he's translating for me. He said, Benjamin, ask her if I could just share my story. So he talks to her in Kalanga a minute. She agrees. So I just begin to open the very simple truth of the gospel. And friends, aren't you glad that the gospel is a simple truth? That's profound. But it's not complicated. In the heart of every human being that God has made, he's written into their heart the knowledge that he exists. I studied anthropology in university. Interesting fact about every anthropological study done of every people on the planet, there's one common factor. All peoples have a form of worship. And they may worship trees, idols, mountains, the moon, the sun, the ancestors. But what does it tell you? The word of God is absolutely true. He's written this into their hearts that he exists. Not only has he written it into their hearts, but he's written it in creation around them every day. So I'm sharing the simple truth of the gospel, the separation that sin has given us between us and holy God. And as I'm sharing, I'm watching her as the Spirit of God begins to convict her heart and open her to the truth of the gospel. And when I got through, I said, Benjamin, ask her if she'd like to put her faith and trust in Jesus today. And talks her a minute, and she agrees. So I said, well, Benjamin, lead her in prayer. So Benjamin leads her in prayer. It's this Kalanga woman 
as far as we know, amongst the first of the Kalangas to come to faith besides he and a few others. When she gets through praying, she's, after she says amen, she turns from looking at my friend Benjamin and she looks at me and begins to speak to me in fluent English. <laughs> Honestly, the first thing I thought, it's a miracle. I mean, you know, I shocked. I mean, you know, I'd never seen, you know, she'd never let on for a second she understood anything I said. Then she goes on, she says, I know you don't know who I am. She said, I have a master's degree from the University of Oklahoma. She said, I'm the chief instructor at the teacher's training college. And then she made this statement. She said, when you saw me, I knew that you would think I was just a peasant woman. And I said to myself, if what those two men have to say is so important that they would turn aside to share it with me, it must be the truth. That lady became a leading worker in our work in Botswana. But why do I share the story with you? Because here's the question. Why isn't it up to us to decide who gets the gospel and who doesn't? Let's just take your own community for an example. Today when you drive home, if you go through a neighborhood, and you just think to yourself, I wonder if that person right there is a Christian. And then in your heart, you look at that house and you say, you know what? I just don't think there are kind of people. So I don't think I'll stop and share the gospel with them. Why isn't it up to us to decide who gets it and who doesn't? Because is that how God treated you? <laughs> I don't know your church family. But I'm pretty sure there are some people in here that would admit that God is not lucky to have you on his team. <laughs> that in fact, you are a trophy of the grace of God. And friends, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ saved us, redeemed us, reconciled us restored us, filled us with His Spirit, clothed us with His righteousness. And we have this treasure that needs to be shared with people who are like us in the world but have never heard it. There are people I'm convinced in our world today who are lost, not because they said, you know what, I don't, I don't want to be saved. I want to be lost. You know, if you're in the church today and you're lost, you know why you're lost? You want to be lost. But today, here in the gospel, I would urge you. I would exhort you. I would say to you, don't live another moment apart from holy God and having a relationship with a heavenly Father who loved you so much he put his son on the cross in your place so that you could have forgiveness of sin and know what a peaceful night's sleep is. But friend, there's a pursuit for the lost. That will take your whole life to live it out. It starts across the street. But he may take you to somewhere in the state of Kentucky where people need to hear it. Or he may take you across the state line, maybe up to Alaska where First Nations people need someone to come who can understand and love them and who's pursuing them with the gospel. But it may be to one of these nations in the world where 
they've never heard it before. And God so burdens your heart that you sense, I'm compelled to go on this great pursuit. Wherever you are today, my encouragement to you is lay your yes on the altar. Say, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. You make it clear to me, I'm all in. I'm ready. You know why you can do that? Because the apostle concludes that portion of text by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You have in this word of God a powerful weapon yielded through the power of the Spirit that is able to cut asunder joint and marrow, crash the granite boulders into pieces because the Word of God is powerful. doesn't need to be defended. doesn't need to be excused. Uh, it just needs to be proclaimed. To all of our ability, let's pursue these lost in our world today. I'm going to ask Pastor if he'd come and lead us now in our invitation time. Pastor. Would the worship team make their way into a position if you're leading in our worship? We've heard the word of God preached, and now we are invited to respond. And so I'm going to ask you, how do you need to respond today? Perhaps you need to come forward to say, I feel like God is calling me to ministry or to missions. Um, and you don't have to be uh, alone in that. Maybe you and your wife say, we believe God has put a unique call in our life, and we are ready to step forward uh, in either missions or vocational ministry, during this invitation time, I want you, if you feel that way, <clears throat> I want you to step forward and come, come to take me or one of our ministers by the hand, and you can say, we believe God's calling us. We need someone to lead us. We need to know how, what to do, to be ready to go. Uh, we want to celebrate that. We want to pray with you. Perhaps you want to come forward to join the church. You feel like God has brought you here to Lone Oak First Baptist Church, and you want to formally participate and join the ministry that is happening here at this church. You can respond during the invitation time. Come forward and say, we want to talk about what it means to be a member of the church or to join the church. Maybe you're here today and you want to respond to the gospel. You choose to be a recipient of God's grace through Jesus Christ. Today, now is the time to do so. When we stand to sing, you can step out in the aisle, come forward, take me or one of the ministers by the hand and say, I, I need to be saved, and we will talk to you about what that means. But whatever God is calling you to do, don't waste this invitation, but would you respond? Would you respond by stepping out and stepping forward? I'm going to invite you where you are to stand. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. At the close of the prayer, the invitation will open. And whether you're in the front, the back, or the balcony, we are ready for you to respond today. Lord, we thank you for the day. God, we thank you for the word, the challenge, the call. Now, Lord, would you lead us to respond in obedience? Father, I pray for the man or the woman, the family that needs to step out and step forward in response to this call. Lord, lead them by faith to respond in obedience. Lord, I pray now for your help, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. The invitation's open. How do you need to respond?